Welcome to Steadfast. I am so glad to be here with you tonight as we wrap up our third volume of Proverbially Speaking. We've been looking at all the wisdom that has just permeated through the book of Proverbs over these last three summers as we've gone through this series. And this summer in particular, we focused on Agar and his wisdom for us that God has given to us. And tonight, as we wrap it up, we look at the last few verses in, in Proverbs chapter 30. We're going to see how it all pulls together as Agar offers us insights into a life not well lived and how, going back to his wisdom, we can live a life that is good and pleasing to God and fulfilling in doing the things that God made us to do. So as we prepare to do that, let's go ahead and come before our God in prayer, and then we shall jump in. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this evening and for this word that we're able to study, your word. Thank you for these friends that are tuning in, that we get to share in studying your word together. And, and Lord, would you help us to see what you would have us to see tonight that might not just be something that we hear tonight, but it might influence how we live, that we might live to your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're thinking about a summary of how we ought to live tonight. And if you know someone who's sort of struggling with, well, what should I be doing with my life? What should a life look like? What's pleasing to God? Consider sharing this video tonight and giving it a like, leaving comments as we go along. You can help the social media platforms know that you're interested in this, that, that your friends might be. Maybe someone will come on that, that needs to hear a little bit from God's word tonight. So thank you for your help in doing that. So we begin tonight, I want to talk about a murder. I read about a story a few weeks ago. It took place in Australia this spring about a man who was overheard by his neighbors and he was yelling so loudly that even though he lived in an actual house, this wasn't taking place in an apartment building, this was an actual house, people could hear him screaming, I am going to kill you. And he, he was screaming this over and over again and various other threats of death and, and they could hear this woman screaming and so they called the police. Well, the police show up at the man's house and they knock on the door and they want to know where the woman he was attempting to murder, or perhaps by that point they feared had murdered, was. And he insisted there was no woman there. They kept pressing him because they said, well, the, the neighbors heard you were yelling, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to destroy you. You, you, you were yelling all these things and, and the neighbors heard a woman screaming and, and finally the man admitted that the screams were actually from himself. He was the one screaming. And the being he was threatening to kill was a very large spider. He explained to the police he's very, very afraid of spiders. And so as he was busy making threats to the spider, he was also screaming insanely. And the police confirmed this by walking into his house and finding it quite foggy with insecticide that he'd been spraying all over the place trying to get this spider. And while they didn't specify the species, the police officer confirmed Yes, indeed, there was a very large spider there that was deceased. Well, things can sometimes spiral out of control, can't they? And if you're like me, I don't really like spiders either. I've never screamed so loudly about a spider that 
that the neighbors thought was trying to murder someone, but I'm not really fond of spiders. Most of us are. And, and we see those things in our lives that can cause us to, to spiral out of control. And I'm not sure I'd call this a wrong reaction that he had, but maybe a over-the-top reaction. But certainly there are times where, where we end up with the wrong reaction to things or we, we have a right reaction that we, we play up too much and things start to spiral. And that's what Agar wants us to wrestle with in these last few verses. If you turn to Proverbs chapter 30, verse 32, we see this in his instructions about pride and foolishness. He says, If you have been foolish exalting yourself, or if you have been devising evil, put your hand on your mouth. For pressing milk produces curds, pressing the nose produces blood, and pressing anger produces strife. He talks about foolishness, he talks about pride, and he talks about anger here. And and the instruction that's implied is stop. Stop with those things. Don't don't keep feeding them and growing them because it will not go well. It'll be like running through your house screaming bloody murder at a spider. Eventually the neighbors are going to hear, they're going to call the police, and then you're going to have to explain and hope that there's enough insecticide in the air still that they believe you. We do these things. We, we feed our pride. We feed our anger. And in doing those things, we, we act foolishly. We can go in all kinds of different paths in foolishness. And, and each of those then, while he singles out anger, each of these things contributes, the, the pride and the foolishness contributes to our anger. And over time, our emotions take control and we, we end up doing things that aren't wise. And that's where we find ourselves leading into strife. And so he has this, this analogy here of, of, of producing different things by pressing or squeezing or, or interacting uh, with the substance. And just as you can produce butter or you can produ- or if you punch someone in the nose, you'll produce blood. So too, if you keep pressing on anger and foolishness and pride, what are you going to do? You're going to produce strife. There's going to be trouble, unnecessary trouble in life. This is a quintessential example of the biblical fool, someone who who isn't holding on to the wisdom of the Lord. And so bad things happen, not because it's all about whether you're good enough and then God blesses you or, or anything like that, but rather there's simple natural consequences to acting foolishly. God knows what's best for us, and when we go a different path, I think we've all experienced this, bad things happen. For example, perhaps the perfect example of this is in 2 Samuel chapter 25, where we encounter a man named Nabal, or literally fool. That's the Hebrew word for fool. And we read this in verse 9. It says, when David's young men came, they said all this. David had sent a message to Nabal to ask for help. They say to, to Nabal, in the name of David, And then they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men who come from where I do not know where? Now, just to set the context a little of what's going on here in this particular story, David and his men are fleeing from Saul. David isn't king yet, but 
but it's known what's going on. It's known that Saul wants to kill David, and it's gotten around, in, at least in some quarters, that that David also is going to be the future king and that there's a promise for that. So Nabal probably knows some of these things. But more than that, we're told that that David's men protect Nabal's shepherds as they're tending their flocks. If others try to attack, they helped protect them and they helped them out. And they'd acted very decently towards them. And David asks for a rather innocuous thing. He says, can you provide us with some supplies? We're low on supplies. And instead of even just flatly refusing, Nabal makes it an opportunity to offer an insult. He says, should I help every servant that doesn't get along with his master? And and if he knew anything, he knew that David wasn't seeking to not get along with Saul. Quite the contrary, Saul was the one who had decided he was going to oppose David. But Nabal takes it as an opportunity. Why not just insult David? And what we see there in this man whose name is Foolish or or Fool, a man who creates needless strife. And David's reaction isn't exactly wise either. He decides he's just going to go and kill the man. Thankfully, Abigail, Nabal's wife and David's future wife, intervenes, prevents prevents David from going and doing this foolish thing, arranges the supplies and so on, and brings out a wise outcome. But what we see there is how foolishness on both sides could have led to bad things, and it does on Nabal's side, could have led to bad things on David's side. And it's all unnecessary. Nabal didn't need to insult David. And yet, while we look at that and we say, well, why did you insult David? There are plenty of times where we let sharp words out that are unnecessary. We don't need to get the little dig into people. We don't need to get the little upper hand. And oftentimes, even when we're right about something, we find a way just to make it cut a little. What does it do? It produces strife. That's what we see with Nabal. And then oftentimes, then in our own pride, even if we're the one on the receiving end, in our own pride, in our own foolishness, in our own anger, then we respond. And it's a cycle that builds on top of each other. Just like the, the example of of injuring someone's nose produces blood. If someone punches you in the nose, the knee-jerk response is to attack back, and it often escalates. And, and that's what we see in foolishness in general. And that's what Agar wants us to see here, is that it, the anger builds. He's actually playing on words when he, he talks about a nose and anger. A nose, the root for nose is the same root for anger in Hebrew, and so the two words are interrelated, and so he's kind of building. You, everyone understands what happens if you attack someone's nose. It's going to produce blood. And so he uses that then to say, do we really think about what happens when we attack with anger? Because oftentimes we don't. We think, well, I'm going to get that sharp word in. I'm going to get the edge on somebody else. I'm going to insult someone because it's not going to do anything. We don't realize we're actually building a stage for all kinds of unnecessary strife. We're building up the pressure and building up the pressure until such time as something bad happens. And, And theoretically we know this, and yet time and again we do it over again because for some reason in our own heads we think, this time I'm going to triumph. I'll get the extra dig. I'll get the extra advantage, and it will all be okay. Better than okay, because as we get the advantage, then our pride gets built up and we feel good because we feel like, well, I won. But we're building up that pressure and building up that pressure, and eventually we're going to have a mess. It reminds me, last week, I I had come into possession of a a very old soda stream soda maker, and and that's a whole other story, but I, I 
been curious about this. I don't really drink soda very often, so it's not really something that I normally would go out and do. But here was this soda maker, and I decided to try to make some soda. And you can make all kinds of different flavors. You can make sparkling waters, all kinds of different things with this. And and what you do is you put water in a, in a bottle, and then you inject the carbonation into it, just like you would a soda fountain. You produce this nice carbonated water that you can put different flavors in. Simple enough. Somewhere along the line, I, I must not have read the instructions carefully enough, though, but in hooking it up initially, I put the bottle on, but I thought it just kind of pushed in. I didn't realize it actually screwed on, and so I, I pressed the button to cause the carbonation to happen. It, the pressure came down, and instead of going and staying in the bottle and carbonating it, it pushed the water and the carbonation right out of the bottle and all over the place, and there was a nice waterfall coming down the table. It produced a mess because I was pushing on that pressure and that pressure just exploded. Now, most of the time when we're dealing with our own pride and our foolishness and our anger, we think that we've screwed on the bottle and everything is right and it's not going to explode. But the simple fact is if I kept pushing on the, the lever, even with it screwed on, eventually that bottle would explode. It'd get too full and it would just pop. That's what we do. And we don't usually have the sense of when. And, and worse... We shouldn't be trying to figure out exactly how much pressure we can put on the bottle of other people and, and and on God. We should be thinking in terms of how do we act instead in a righteous way. But we feed foolishness. We feed pride. We feed evil plans. So what we see here, he says, or if you've been devising evil, and that kind of summarizes all this. If you think about all the wisdom we've been talking about the last weeks, the inverse of that is plotting evil. And... We don't usually think, ah, I'm going to go plot evil now. <laughs> we think, well, it's justified because someone did this to me or some group of people have done, have done this to me or I have to get the upper hand and we justify it and we try to make it good. But when we really, really peer into what we're doing, we have to admit it doesn't sound very good. It doesn't sound like something that would come out of scripture, something that God would say, this is pleasing and good to me. If it comes out of Scripture at all, it comes out of the bad examples we see in Scripture. Not what God's called us to do. And then it explodes. And so Agar is saying, be aware of this and don't feed it. Don't do like the evildoer. Don't do like the fool. Don't do like Nabal or the many other fools we find in Scripture. Instead, seek God's wisdom. And there we find the cure. You see, as we think about these final verses in context of everything that we've read in this chapter from Agar, we see this as sort of the opposite of what we do if we're doing everything he's been calling us to think about. He's calling us to a life of humility before God. And in that life of humility before God, we find a life of peace, not anger and strife. I like how Derek Kidner sums up everything we've been looking through these last weeks. He says that there are basically three sections to what Agar has been discussing with us. There, there's the first section on reverence, reverence for God and his wisdom and his majesty and his power. And we see a section on restraint. And finally, a section on wonder. And that's where we've dwelt for most of these weeks. And you think about these things. We start off and, and Agar realizes how much less wise, even though he's going to be someone who's dispensing wisdom to us, how his wisdom is nothing like God. Nothing like the wisdom of God and the abilities of God and the power and the majesty of God. Then he goes and talks about how do we relate to other people in a way that we're not seeking to get an edge on them. We're not seeking to, to hurt them. We're not seeking to take advantage of them. 
you think about these things, they, they do correspond to what he's talking about here. If, if, if we have reverence towards God and we realize that we're foolish, we, we're moving away from foolishness. If, if we're not seeking to exalt ourselves, we're, we're moving away from foolishness and towards reverence for God. When we think about not devising evil, as he's talking about here, the danger of devising evil, that's tied into restraining ourselves when we think we have the ability to take advantage of people, say the poor or the oppressed or, or, or our parents. We talked about honoring our parents, all these different things that he offered us. In each of those, when we restrain our evil impulses and instead we seek to do what God has said is good, we're making a step towards humility and peace. And that comes into that picture of all the different wonders he discussed. We, we had the different animals that plan well. We had people falling in love. We had the, the wonder of a king. We had all these different things, all these good things that God has made. And, and, and these things fill us with wonder. Wonder of what? Wonder towards God. Wonder towards the creator. Again, coming back to then the reverence that we should have for him, the thankfulness we should have for him in that he created this wonderful world and we experience these things and they, they happen in our lives and in the lives of people around us. And so in all that, it sets the context that when we feel the temptation to feed our own foolishness and count it as wisdom, when we want to exalt ourselves, when we want to devise plans that in fact are evil, we set against these things that God has made and who God is and what he's called us to do. And we start to see where we really are. Just like Agar, we recognize our limitations. If you look back at verse 2, Agar said, Surely I am too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of a man. Here's one of the wisest men who ever lived. We don't know much about him, but we know that God tucked him into a book of wisdom in his own word. And indeed, we've seen the wisdom that he has expressed as he's walked us through all these things we're talking about. A very, very wise man, and yet in the context of looking at his God, he realizes he doesn't even feel like he should be compared to other men. He's foolish because he recognizes how minuscule his wisdom is compared to God's. He knows where true wisdom is, and that's what we're called to do, too, in the Christian life. That's what Paul called the church to over the the time that he was discipling them and preparing them to go on. And that's what the, the church in its best has called each of us to do in the time since. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So, let no one boast in men. We're called to, to see all the wisdom that we hold on to. And Paul was writing to the Corinthians who thought they were quite wise. They had lots of worldly wisdom. They had all kinds of great philosophers. We still hold up Greek philosophy as, as wisdom, and, and in a human sense, rightly so. He said, that is foolishness compared to God. And, and Agar, in his own way, as he's approaching it here, is saying the same thing. He's, he's calling us to look at all the worldly wisdom we can accumulate, all the worldly power we can accumulate. And in context of the wonder of who God is and the wonder of what he has made that he allows us to experience, it doesn't seem very wise at all. 
If anything, it seems quite foolish. And so, while it seems, in a way, as we reach this last passage here, like it just is another little bit tucked in, it actually is summarizing everything we've been thinking about. It's a challenge to us. Are, are we going to be those who feed our own foolishness, who exalt ourselves, who do evil? Are we going to look at all the things that he's been pointing us to and how they are just mere samples of the overall wonder of who God is and allow ourselves to experience a much bigger dose of God's wonder? We need a bigger dose of God's wonder. So often in, in our struggles, I think the thing that has really affected us is we've lost the wonder. We've forgotten what God has done. We've forgotten to marvel in the everyday things that God has given us. And in, in these things that he points out here, Agar does, think about the things we've talked about these last weeks and how wonderful they are. God made those and God gave those to us. We need a bigger dose of that wonder so that so that we can then approach life in, a, in the context of recognizing how insignificant we are compared to God and yet how loved we are by God. If you think about that, that's the heart of the gospel, that, that the God of all wonder, the God of all creation, the God of all power, cares enough about us to to save us. That the Father would send his Son to, to die for us and to live for us. To, to bring us not just out of sin, but into his presence. Talk about a dose of wonder when we really allow that to seep in. Yet so often we walk outside in, in, uh, in the story of our lives and we don't see it. The other night you could have walked outside and it looked really dark and you wouldn't have seen much unless you looked around at just the right moment, and then you would have seen this spectacular moon. It was just breathtaking. But it was really, really easy to miss. It was below the tree line for a good long time until relatively late, and then all of a sudden it popped up, and if you just happened to be looking where it was, it was beautiful. But if you'd walked outside, looked the other way, hadn't paid very good attention, you could have just seen darkness. And and so often in our lives, we're seeing the darkness and not the beautiful moon that is illuminating and glowing over the trees. We can miss it. We can miss the wonder of what God is doing, the majesty of who he is. But Agar says here, don't forget these things. Don't forget the rock badgers and, and how God has cared for them. Don't don't forget the, the grandeur of the kings that he has made. Don't, don't forget how he's made the eagle to soar in the sky, how he's given us families that we are to care for, how he's introduced love into this world, how he's saved us, how he's called us to care for one another. All these beautiful things. We don't want to miss them. And when we cling to him, and we allow that wonder to soak in. We get that dose of God's wonder. He works in us and he turns us away from devising evil and feeding our pride and falling into strife, into a life of true peace and fellowship with him. If we're really looking for what wisdom is, there it is. Experiencing him, recognizing that he's the one in control. He's the one that also loves you and loves me. Would you join me in prayer? Father, too often we we miss the wonder of, of who you are and what you're doing, what you've done in this world, what you do for us. Lord, would you help us to, to recognize it more clearly, to cling to your gospel, to, to recognize the wonder of what you, you do by redeeming us and, and 
pray that this night everyone listening has or will experience the wonder of, of receiving your redemption. But let us not just stop there, Lord. Help us to see the wonder in the life that you then allow us to live as your people. The wonder of, of the plants and the animals and the trees and the people you put in our lives and the, the beauty of, of the heavens and everything that you do. And the wonder of your love that goes with us. May we cling to that and, and in that then see how ugly and death-giving are the plans that we devise instead. And we cling to your plans and be guided by your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I do hope that this series has been an encouragement to you. I, I love getting to share in this this time with you each week. And, and if this has been an encouragement to you, please do consider sharing this. It really does make a difference. It, it helps more people learn about Steadfast and through Steadfast more about the gospel and more about this community that you're a part of, that, that we share in this together. And so it really does help when we spread the word. So thank you for joining me for this. Next week, next week, we are beginning a brand new series entitled Unfollow. And, and this series, if you've ever wondered, if you leave comments, does it make a difference? It does. Uh, one of our faithful regulars, Joyce, a member at Little Hills, asked a question a few weeks ago about some of what we've been reading about agar and what do we do with those who are unhealthy followers and here's the thing in life as in the christian life or if you're not yet a christian in just life in general we follow a lot of things we shouldn't and we allow it to be very unhealthy and the bible deals with this a lot and so we're going to think about how we unfollow those things instead follow God's wisdom. And so I hope you'll join me next week. Maybe invite a friend to join in watching with you the new series Unfollow, 7 p.m. next Monday. In the meantime, if you haven't already and you're looking for a men's Bible study, do check out our men's Bible study on Thursday nights. We would love to have you join us. It's it's a video-based Bible study. It's interactive. We, we all come up on video conferencing, as all of us have become familiar with over the last few years. And we have a great group of guys from around the country It'd be great to have you there as we're studying Romans together. It's such a beautiful book of God's wisdom, and, and it fills it can't help but fill you with wonder as you spend time in this deep truth of God. So if you've been looking for a Bible study, please consider joining that. Also, on Sunday night, we're continuing our series, Hey God, It's Dark Here, and enjoying worship together. And so I hope maybe this Sunday would be the Sunday, if you haven't already, you, you join us in person if you can. Online, of course, is also wonderful, and we have a wonderful and rich online community. If you do come in person this Sunday, we will have hot dogs delayed from this past week due to the rain. It'd be great to have you there at 5.30 p.m. for that. If there's any way I can be praying for you this week, if you have any comments or questions, feel free to shoot me an email at the email address on screen or leave a comment in the comments below. It's always great to hear from you. hope you have a blessed and wonderful week, and I'll see you next week for our brand new series, Unfollow.